Welcome to Derailed Trains of Thought. Well, welcome back to Derailed Trains of Thought. This is episode 12. I am Nick Hayden, a.k.a. Zara Nicholas. And this is Timothy Deal, a.k.a. The Ninja Mouse. Ninja Mouse. Man, I have, it's been a while since I've seen that. Yeah. How do you get that one? I never know how you get these things. That one's just a screen name that is really derivative from King Mickey's role in Kingdom Hearts. I, I love Mickey in his Organization 13 outfit. Okay, yeah. And with us today is a special guest. Hi, I'm Natasha Hayden. I'm Nick's wife. And I'll explain her presence here in just a moment. A.K.A. the Baroness. The Baroness. Red yes. Baroness. <laughs> oh, and real quick, I will apologize if um, we're, we're recording in the basement and my uh, basement pump keeps going on and off. So if that comes through um, and the listeners wonder what in the world's going on, that's what's going on. It's because it's almost the end of April and it's been raining for the past two weeks straight. Spring hasn't reached Indiana yet. Aw. My condolences. <laughs> it's pretty sad. <laughs> so we'll get straight to the point. We'll start with uh, Story School. Right, uh, story school today. I invited my wife to um, join us because I consider her a local expert on the subject. We're going to be talking about young adult novels and kind of the trends in young adult novels and um, some of the books she's enjoying, and just kind of take a sneak peek at this whole booming genre. I guess a, a good first question to start us off, in case listeners are like, um, I'm, I don't know anything about young adult books. Natasha, what is it about? that genre that really that you find interesting young adult I've always found just has more story to it than adult fiction I mean it's just I read adult fiction sometimes and I just get bogged down in details that I really don't care about I just want the story to get going I want the characters to be great you know I don't care what they were wearing down to the last detail and where they live down to the last detail. Uh And young adult is much more fast-paced in in those things because, you know, you have to keep the attention of teenagers, so... (laughs) Yeah, that can be short sometimes. I should bring up here, Natasha, could you go ahead and tell us why I consider you at least a local expert on young adult? Well... Do you want the long story or the short story? <laughs> Either way. I work uh, part-time for my sister-in-law, um, she, Nick's sister. She owns a bookstore. And um, she gets a lot of free books, um, advanced reader copies. And uh, a lot of young adult comes through there. And I get to read all these books for free. And so, I mean, I pick out young adult over adult fiction for reasons I've already explained. But So, yeah, that's why I read a lot of young adult she routinely has two full bookshelves of books she's picked up free and wants to read. That's ridiculous. And she, I mean, she what you calculated yesterday, you've read uh, 16 books since the year began? Yeah, about four months. Holy cow. 
Yeah. I mean, it's not always evenly spaced. Like in a week, sometimes I'll read three books and then I'll go a couple weeks without reading anything. So, and young adult reads really fast. So that's easy to do. Yeah. Well, still, I'm jealous. Uh, (laughs) I get through one book like every three months. So. Well, plus you pick these really long books like <laughs> Russian novels and Robert Jordan. So, Well, that's true. Speaking of describing what they're wearing to the last detail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have tried you, Robert Jordan. <laughs> you liked, it, you liked the, pro, the prequel. Yes, I did. So, Natasha, um, one of my favorite things to discuss with you, I guess we'll start at the beginning, is the whole Twilight saga. Oh, yes. Uh, which is a jumping off point for other discussions. So you enjoyed Twilight. I did. Why do people enjoy Twilight? Please tell us. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you'll notice uh, it's usually women who enjoy Twilight, and that's because of the relationship aspect of it. And I've I've read the books, seen the movies, and I know when guys go to the movies, there's just a not, not enough action. Well, the books don't have a lot of action. Well, the first one, maybe. Later ones do have more, but um, it's really about the relationships. And um, <laughs> Edward seems, in some ways, seems like the perfect gentleman. I mean, I don't completely agree with that myself. I mean, if he were a human, he would be kind of a creeper. But since he's a vampire, I give him a little leeway. <laughs> I mean, he already has something against him there, being a vampire. So um, so you can forgive him being a stalker, therefore. Yeah, that's part of it. If he were human, I would not take that at all. I mean, that would be ridiculous. But since he can't sleep at night, what else is he going to do but stand in the bedroom of the girl he likes and watch her sleep. I don't know. <laughs> it seems a little bit less creepy since he can't sleep and he has nothing else to do and you feel sorry for the poor guy. You say so. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reason I introduced Twilight, even though it's a number of years old now, except for the movies, is because you and I have discussed numerous times kind of this evolving trend in young adult. If you could maybe explain that for our listeners you know, start with Twilight and kind of bring us through what you've witnessed. Vampires have been around for a while and not, and Stephanie Meyer, um, the author of the Twilight series, definitely took them in a different direction than anybody really had before. Um, Not that vampires hadn't been somewhat good before, but she made them very different. You know, these vegetarian vampires, (laughs) which just means they didn't eat humans. So it started with vampires, and then you started seeing a lot of vampire books in the market for young adults. And then um, the shift then went to werewolves, and the Twilight books had some werewolves in them. There, you know, there was whole Team Edward, Team Jacob, so that was a nice jumping off point um, for those who are Team Jacob um, to go into werewolf books. And then those started to die off. And we got angels. I don't know how you make the jump from werewolf to angel. I guess from vampire to angel, you know, evil, good, I guess that works. But So there's this whole spectrum of paranormal, a lot of paranormal romance. And from angels, we're now going into demons. I'm not sure how much that's going to last. But I've seen a few books come through the bookstore that feature demons instead of angels. But the angel one is a weird one. I haven't gotten used to it. I found one book that I liked, but it's it's too realistic, I guess, for me. Um, I 
prefer books that are about creatures I know don't exist and I can suspend uh, disbelief better for those, I guess. But anyway, it's this whole supernatural trend. Um, and there are other trends, too. Do you want me to go into those? Go for it. We also have the apocalyptic trend, like end of the world, teenagers or middle school kids or younger are the only ones alive and all the adults are dead or disappeared for some reason. Um, that was popular for a while. I haven't seen as many of those recently, um, but that was about the same time as vampires. Can you give us a few examples of, of uh, certain titles that you might remember? Gone by Michael Grant, and that's a series now. The second one's Hunger. I think the third one's Lies, but I haven't read it yet. Um, and I really liked that series, um, what I've read of it so far. Um, and that was the apocalyptic, a post-apocalyptic one. Well, they're, yeah, they're kind of, all the adults disappeared, and they don't know why, and they're stuck in this bubble in California, and um, the kids are left. And Would Little Brother X fall in that category? I know that was being talked about a lot for a while when I was a teen librarian. I really liked that book. It's not quite the same. It's a little, it's pre-apocalyptic. I mean, it's okay. kind of how our world, the direction, you could say, that um, our political world is heading. <laughs> um <laughs> So it's kind of futuristic, but like right on the border, like it could happen tomorrow. Okay. So that's not quite the same. More straightforward sci-fi then. Yeah. So Gone would be the main one in that. I've I've read a few others. Um, that and then you in that category too, you have space. All these teenagers get on a spaceship and they take off from Earth because Earth is dying, and they want them to be teenagers that they have the best chance and because they'll live the longest. And hmm. there's a book called um, The Comet's Curse. Um, can't think of the author right now, but um, that was that's an example of that. And then um, a book I just finished by Orson Scott Card, actually. I'd never read anything by him. Um, but it's a young adult novel called Pathfinder. was really good, and that's, that's more fantasy. It's not really end of the world. Well, <laughs> it's the end of our world, but it's... The beginning of another world, I guess. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, it was it was a very interesting book. Another thing that uh, I like asking Natasha is what these young adult books say about culture. Is there, are there threads in them, moral threads that you know come up over and over again that you, you can kind of get the pulse of what apparently people think teens want to read? And I don't know if you have a coherent answer for that. I know we've talked about various things. Yeah. Um, Let's start with the paranormal. Why? Why is? What do you think that says about the young adults that we have all these vampires, werewolves, angels, demons, fairies, etc.? Well, I think our world is, at least the United States, is moving into a very. Um, let me rephrase that. We're very becoming very spiritually conscious, and I don't mean that in a good way. Um, I don't mean for us Christians, you know, that they're becoming more aware of. Jesus, but they are becoming more aware of the need for something to fill the space. <laughs> and so um, on one level, the paranormal touches that because it's something bigger than us. You know, vampires are stronger and cooler and, um, well, some of them, <laughs> <laughs> and angels have powers. And it's just we need something bigger than ourselves to fill the void. I think that is one thing. And then paranormal romances, um, a lot of girls are looking for that perfect guy. And a guy is more perfect, I guess, <laughs> if he has superpowers. and Or he's dangerous. Or he's dangerous. Yeah, that's another big one. I do not know why 
some girls like the bad boys. Um, you don't want to marry a bad boy, but, you know, you might like to date him, just experience what he has to offer. I don't know. It's That's the thing with Edward is that he's he has all the dangerous things while being the while most... While being safe. While, while being, like, the most chivalrous person in that series. Yeah. Which is an interesting combination. It is. But that's, I mean, that's not how it works in the real world. If they're dangerous, they're dangerous, you know? <laughs> there's no good part to that. Yeah, but. it's a... I think it's a common fantasy, the the dangerous but but safe kind of person. Yeah. But interesting you say that about feeling the need to fill a void. It's almost like a rebellion against modernism. The idea that science and intelligence can solve all our problems. Yeah. But instead we want to have these things that supposedly aren't real, but we, we focus on them so much anyway. I wonder if the post-apocalyptic plays, in, plays into that same idea that science has failed us. Hmm. And so the world starts, you know, so there's more and more of these things where the world just kind of spins out of control. So, yeah, just tear out everything that, since it's not working, like just tear it out, start anew. Maybe. Possibly. In a certain sense, I think that appeals to, uh, well, to a number of people. I, I think it appeals to Miyazaki in a, in a bizarre sort of sense. A lot of his stuff is, it, is when things are breaking down or have already broken down. Yeah. And kind of a rebirth. Have, did you ever see Nausicaa? I I haven't. Okay, that well, that's very much a post-apocalyptic thing, and in a certain extent, I guess you could say Castle in the Sky has got some of that. Mm-hmm. But that's off topic, <laughs> which we love off, to- off topic around here. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah, feel free to go wherever you want. When Natasha has a she she reviews all these books on a website, um, natashashelf.blogspot.com, which we'll put in the show notes. Well, I think we have a link to it on the website. Oh, we do have a, we do have a link to it on the website. You're exactly right. But what I find interesting is when she takes these stories and um, kind of pulls out the moral aspect of it. Um, and I was just asking her kind of randomly before we had this podcast about families. If how many families in these teen books have are stable, have two two parents, and then what did you decide? I mean, you're going from a limited number of books. Yeah, just thinking about my top top recommendations out of say eight books um there may be two that have maybe only one where there's a full uh full you know mom dad intact family the rest of them there's usually one parent not always sometimes um a person is an orphan there's usually one parent um around and that's either because of divorce or um like in one of the books i just read um she the mother was on her third guy <laughs> Um, the, the girl's biological dad was a fairy and, um, the dad she grew up with was human, but he was kidnapped by a fairy. And then the dad who was actually with the mom was her half brother's dad. Oh my. (laughs) So so there, yeah, there's a lot of, um, half families or, um, divided families or sometimes, you know, one parent is just dead, but, um, they usually like to focus on one parent it seems which we were discussing is not necessarily i mean part of it could be just a reflection of culture uh, which is you know perfectly fine and part of it's probably that in some ways the the drama is more intense when you have a very focused relationship between like a kid and a one parent you throw two in there and it gets more complicated from a dramatic point of view well yeah you look at disney it seems like half their main characters are orphans of exactly. one kind or another <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. So I don't, but I'm always curious asking these questions because I don't read in, I read very few things that were written before I was born. I mean, after I was born. So I don't have a good sense of what's going on in literary culture. 
Tim, any other questions? I have one last one for her. Um, are you personally more inclined toward, do you think, things that are aimed toward uh, girls? Or do you see yourself reading like a wide variety of stuff? It seems like most of the time I'm reading books written by women <laughs> that seem to be targeted toward girls. You know, the main character is a girl. Occasionally I'll pick up a book and be surprised, you know, it's written by a guy and the main character's a guy and it's <laughs> and it's good. Uh-huh. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> but um like Pathfinder by Orson Scott Card, that one. Um definitely main character is a guy, definitely written more toward guys, but um I enjoyed it. So but yeah, I, I do tend to read more. Here's a follow up question. Do you think more young adult books are written by girls than guys? Oh yeah. Well, I think girls are more avid readers than men usually are. Especially that age. Yeah, especially that age. Although, I I, I do think, and maybe see what Natasha thinks about this, I I think there is possibly, it used to be that boys would only read stories about boys. But now I'm I'm wondering if that's less the case anymore, especially with the popularity of The Hunger Games, which stars a female protagonist. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, both sides, boys and girls, can like that book. I, that's still my top recommendation, even though it's a few years old. And it's a good time to read it, because I hear they're gearing up for the movie. Yeah. Which will be interesting. Quick question. Speaking of movies, a couple of your books have recently become movies. Yes. Um, I, I'll give a brief rundown of the ones you think are worth watching. That's kind of the new place they peg for uh, movies now, are these young adult books. Well, let's see. None of my top recommendations here are movies, except for The Hunger Games. Well, that tells you something. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Because I think the two I thought of was I'm number four. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't review that book. I think I was reading a lot of books at the time. And um, there are parts of it that I liked a lot, and then parts of it that just were unimpressive to me. But I ended up really liking the movie, and the movie got mixed reactions. But I thought it was a fun movie, um, just a good family movie. And um, although, if you look at the the main character, if you've seen the movie, he looks like he's a freshman or sophomore in college. And in the book, he's like barely in high school. (laughs) So they definitely uh, changed that for the sake of, I don't know, their female audience or bringing in more more people but could also be a matter of uh, actor availability maybe yeah because an actual high school student might have they have certain restrictions on child labor laws and stuff yeah and then there was that book you read that was actually a movie first became a book and then became a movie uh red riding hood the movie that uh katherine hardwick just did uh she's the same one who uh directed twilight and actually the nativity story so, I mean, she she found this um, script, I guess, and uh, gave it to a friend of hers who just graduated college, and I, I believe, and um, asked her to make a book out of it, a book out of the, the movie script. So it was a original screenplay first, and then it was this book, and then the movie came out after that. And I read the book before I saw the movie. Um, and I was very glad the movie ended differently than the book did. Um, the book just, maybe the author didn't know how the movie was supposed to end. Maybe that was kept secret from her. I don't know. But <laughs> the movie was better than the book. And I hoped it would be since it was an original screenplay. And But you never know. But Interesting. I just thought that was a really strange, unique way of going about. Yeah, you don't normally hear a, a origin story of a story that way. <laughs> 
Yeah. And usually a book is better than the movie, but in this case, no. All right. Well, what what are these uh, top recommendations that you compiled? <laughs> let's let's hear it. Okay. Still top of the list is Hunger Games, even though that's been out a few years. But I guess it, like you said, because the movies are coming out, it's still still around um, in people's minds at least. And what is that very briefly about? And that is about um, kind of a world after our world, and these twelve colonies or eleven twelve colonies have to send kids to the top colony to enter their Hunger Games, kind of as a tribute uh, because they rebelled at one point. Anyway, so they have to choose kids, two kids from each colony, to go to these Hunger Games and fight to the death, and only one gets to live. And they do this every year. And they're the Hunger Games because the more times you enter your name into the drawing, the more likely it is to be picked, but then you also get more food and stuff for your family because these colonies are especially the like 9, 10, 11, 12, these colonies are really suffering. So anyway, that's the gist of that. An intense series. Very good. Yes. Very intense. Very good. Um, and then some of the other ones, these are not, these are just out of the books I've read recently, um, ones that might be worth picking up. You know, not the best books I've ever read, but we have uh, The Dark Divine, and they're in no particular order, <laughs> by um, Brie Spain which is an interesting book because it's kind of about werewolves, but it's mostly about uh, the church. Like, it's about a pastor's family, but they're, it's not written by a Christian, per se. Interesting. It's very interesting, um, mixing the church with werewolves. And it works to a certain degree, although um, I'm looking, kind of looking forward to reading the second book in the series. I think it will be better than the first. Not that the first was bad, but um, it's just... So much of it that, well, here's a whole other can of worms, but for not being written by a Christian author, it seemed a lot like Christian fiction to me. I have some reservations with Christian fiction. Um, some of it's really good, but some of it's very preachy. And it was just on the line. Um, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really was. But um, so that was just an interesting combination to read. Werewolves and... The church. Pastors, daughters, yeah. <laughs> and then there's a book called Unearthly by Cynthia Hand. And this is the one angel book that I could stand. Um, and it actually made sense. It wasn't the angel books where the angel has been around for years and years and years, but she forgot her past life and now is trying to remember, or she's been reincarnated so many times. Those ones I just find hard to swallow. But um, in this one, she's kind of the descendant of angels. So she just has one life to live and she has one purpose, you know, and she gets to interweave it with her normal human life. So it was a good book, Unearthly. Hmm. Then there's The Iron Queen, which is actually book three of the Iron Fae series by Julie Kagawa. I may be pronouncing that name wrong. But um, it's a series, and I have not read the first two books, actually, um, which is rare for me. But I picked this book up just because it was free, you know. <laughs> and I don't, I don't typically read about fairies either, but the premise was interesting enough. And I enjoyed it. It was very good. It had a very interesting world. Mixing common mythology about fairies like Oberon and Titania, you know, these and Queen Mab, these names we are familiar with from... Um, I don't know, Shakespeare or used them maybe. And, and mixing that into a very modern world 
but then there there's this fairy world. This is the one I was talking about where the girl's dad is a fairy and her other dad was kidnapped by a fairy and her third dad isn't her dad. But anyway, <laughs> the world is just fascinating. Um, what was the name of that one again? The Iron Queen. The Iron Queen. Uh, that sounds yes. vaguely familiar. Is it new? It's a pretty popular series now. It's since it's the third one in the series. It's been out for a little while, I guess. Okay. Yeah, you, you probably walk into any bookstore and see it right away. Gotcha. And also the Dark Divine. That series I've seen um, on the shelves in Barnes and Noble, um, prominently displayed. So that's another big series right now. And then there's Pathfinder, which I already mentioned by Orson Scott Card, and Extraordinary by Nancy Whirlin. The reason I mention her is the book it's Excel itself maybe wasn't as extraordinary as the first book I read by her called Impossible, but she's a very good writer. I loved Impossible, so I picked up Extraordinary. It's basically about this girl who the, these fairies need her to be unextraordinary and they need to convince her that, you know, she's not worth very much in order to use her for whatever nefarious purposes they have. So this this um, fairy becomes her friend when she's a young age and so they're friends for years through school and then um, they need her to be unextraordinary in order to make this sacrifice and as it turns out the friend actually the fairy actually becomes a, a real friend of this girl and has a hard time <laughs> trying to convince the girl that she's unextraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> it's just written very beautifully and I liked the book just for the way it was written. The story was good but and then one that is completely outside any trends is um, Prisoners in the Palace by Michaela McColl. And that is historical fiction about the young Princess Victoria before she became Queen Victoria and heralded in the Victorian age that we're so familiar with. Um, so it's basically what happened to her. And there's there was a movie called Young Victoria that the book reminded me of, um, though they have nothing to do with each other. So yeah, historical fiction. And that, you know, weird things get thrown into the mix of this whole paranormal emphasis and the trends <laughs> but um <laughs> well it's not like every teen book that's coming out these days no. is paranormal no but you don't often see historical fiction for young adults so this was very well written for that and i'd pick young adult historical fiction any day over adult historical fiction it's just easier to read and better story so <laughs> <laughs> more tightly done yes yes so those are my top recommendations. Um, not necessarily the top best books I've ever read, but the ones that are out right now. Um, you can find in bookstores right now. Well, very cool. Nice. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up with that then. Natasha, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. You're free <laughs> to stick around the rest of the time if you want. I guess then we'll move to our first soundtrack. Um, for our first soundtrack, I decided to go with a song from Overclock's remix is uh, album Gears and Humans, which is a remix, which is a collection of remixes from Xenogears, the PlayStation game that has the cult following and has some really, really good music. I decided to pick just kind of as a fun pun off of uh, all this talk of paranormal romance. 
a song called Cybernetic Love. Um, because I figure we need some cyborg romance also someday. I'm sure it's coming. Well, that's, hey, I suppose Buckethead is at least vaguely cyborg romance. <laughs> actually, no, it's actually quite a common genre, I'd say, in manga. Oh, that's true. We're going to have to talk manga someday, because we don't know anything. Manga is kind of young adult, and it's a lot of teens enjoy it. So That's true. It's, it is very, very uh, grilling popularity here in the United States. Um, anyways, Cybernetic Love, it's just kind of a fun song. It has a good quote at the end, which is, I could do go with or without, but as a whole, it's kind of peppy and fun, and I've been listening on repeat lately, so I decided I'd share it with all you guys. So uh, this is Cybernetic Love, remixed by Prometheus. Enjoy.
when you love someone, you've got to trust them. There's no other way. You've got to give them the key to everything that's yours. Otherwise, what's the point? Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that. And we'll now tackle a short listener feedback. All right, Tim, there's really just two things from our current comments. We've had a lot of, uh, I know a couple of our viewers been catching up. There's a kind of a backlog that we of comments that we've never really gotten to, which you should go take a look. I know, like, Greg posted something, uh, like, shortly after we recorded some episode and we had some conversation about uh, adaptations, if I remember right. Mm-hmm, I believe so. And then Nathan's been commenting, and he's the one I want to mention. One is just a throwaway comment that I, uh, I want to use to bug you, Tim. That uh, you have not watched um, Never Ending Story yet. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I'm a busy student. I got things up to do. I know you're a busy film student. You can't be bothered watching films. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad, but sort of true. Oh, I complete. Uh, yeah, you're in college. You, you know, be a writing degree and you don't have time to write. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then uh, Nathan leaves a lot of good comments about poss- about adaptations and uh, things based on books. But the one I, the comment I really want to focus on just for a short discussion here is that I think we and it's been a while since we did this podcast that we talked about how writing tends to be more intellectually based and movies more emotionally based. And he he thought we were both right and wrong there. He pointed out a couple intellectual films like The Matrix and The Fountain, which I have not seen The Fountain, but it did look interesting. Uh, you have to be careful, though, about calling... Matrix is still very pop culture It has a lot of intellectual ideas in it, but I, I wouldn't call it solely... It's it's meant to be very entertaining. It's not just meant to espouse theories. That's true. I, 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 I agree so that, with that. That's nitpicking. And that's be- yeah. The the other thing I found interesting, he mentions that um, he t- in a novel writing seminar he took at uh, Taylor University, Fort Wayne, author Jack Cavanaugh... I'm going to say that wrong. That sounds right. Um, so that what separates fiction from all other forms of writing is that its primary goal is to arouse readers the, or viewers' emotions. It is one thing to read statistics about the squalor and injustice, injustices poor Londoners endured during the 19th century, but it's an entirely different experience to read Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. That's a very good point. And I, I think that is true. You want a book to be emotionally interesting. You want to be invested in the characters, you know, to f- feel happy when they're happy, to, you know, feel the trauma, the tension, the squalor. I think I'll probably still hold to my fact that you can get more ideas in a book while doing the motions than you can get in a movie. Oh, definitely. There's so much, you've got so much more room to squeeze ideas and descriptions in, the, in yes. pages. Yeah, and I, and I, but I do agree that perhaps, in the, and I don't remember the conversation, we might have, da- I'm, I, I think it's probably one of my points, probably maybe downplayed the emotional aspect of fiction. I'm reading some stories now for people, and I'm always pointing out, you know, the reader doesn't feel what this character's feeling sort of thing. Mm, yeah. I mean, you're not going to feel horribly depressed when your character's horribly depressed, but you should at least be able to sympathize, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not cold-hearted. Yeah, that's, no, that's, that's a very good point. Yeah, and I, I thought that was really, that, that was really um, meaningful and certainly worth bringing up. And then he said he's going to catch up with the rest of our podcasts. All right. Ho- hopefully he's caught up by the time he hears this. That's true. That would be great because he's only a few behind at that point. That was the main one I wanted to talk about. There's a lot of other good, great stuff up on the board. I encourage our listeners to go and read and have a conversation. Exactly. And having finished that, Tim, let's do a short project update. So how about you tell us what you're up to or not up to at this point? (laughs) 
Well, things are well in Timland. Um, if I may use such a weird term. Uh, <laughs> piece of cake is finished. For all intents and purposes, it's it's done. It will premiere Tuesday, May 2nd. The first Tuesday of May, it will premiere at the Regent Student Showcase. And it's it's exciting, but I'm, it will be interesting, very interesting to me to see it with an audience, too, having worked at it for so long. I was in post-production on that film for about six months. The whole length of this podcast has been around, actually. That's true. Interesting to not talk about it. I'm sure people will be relieved to not hear about it anymore. <laughs> and then you're almost done with school, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, graduation, it will be the first weekend of May, uh, which I think will be shortly after this podcast comes out, uh, if all goes well. And then from there on, who knows? Uh, who knows? I will be headed back to Indiana, so this may be. This is probably going to be the last podcast recorded from Virginia, uh, which may mean for easier podcasting for a little while. But we'll see. If there's anyone out there who's looking to hire an editor, um, I am now available. I think I think you should hire him immediately. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Nick? I I know you've been rereading your novels in preparation of uh, getting back to work on the third one. Yeah, you know, I think probably for the last uh, four months I've been saying, yes, I'm going to start rewriting Strin Fred any minute now. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to start rewriting Strin any minute now. Basically, I, I'm about halfway through what I have written of the third book. Reading it, it's actually quite entertaining to read. I borrowed my sister's nook so I could read it not on my computer screen. Oh, fun. Which has been quite quite enjoyable. I finished last week the mostly well, the, the rough draft or maybe a draft after that version of my gothic horror story, which will be showing up in a short story anthology that I'll talk more about when it gets closer to being completed. Um, it includes me, my wife, several other of our writing friends. We're kind of putting together this uh, collection of short stories, all in different genres with a kind of a theme that ties them together. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I've been looking forward to that. One person's read the story so far, not my wife, who said it was creepy, which is what I wanted to hear, being as it's gothic horror. And besides that, uh, just keeping busy teaching and fathering. And, and you finished your interactive fiction project with your students, right? I, I, I finished that, and um, I was allowed to write a column for the local newspaper about it. I don't know if we talked about it here, but 7th, 8th grade, which I teach, we did. I made them write an interactive fiction story about Muslim wrote about the Holocaust, like going through a museum that was like, just show off what they were learning in history and literature. Um, and usually they had to make a museum or some sort of monument that you could walk around and touch and push buttons and stuff like that. That went well. Cool. Um, and actually with my sixth grade class, and this is really daring, just today we started recording audio dramas. Oh, really? So, yeah. Are they you... wrote them, and I'm just recording them real quick, and then I'm going to give them some time to throw them together. Okay. I, I thought maybe that you were forcing them to go through some of your old uh, short stories or something. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, well, I always make them write, well, they wouldn't write audio dramas this year, but I said we could. So I thought, well, why don't we record this? Um, so I made them write short ones. Ah. And they've been very, uh, very uh, interested in it so far. Cool. We'll see how the how the putting it together goes. Mm. And I keep busy with lots of non-writing things. Too busy. But of course, that's that's my project update. Cool. Oh, and Natasha, I believe you have a project that's uh, cooking inside of you, right? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 12 weeks, well, 12 and a half now, I guess, um, pregnant. Sophia's going to have a little brother or sister. <laughs> uh, congratulations. Thank you. 
That's awesome. Natasha, you want to update us on your story? What's there to say? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> She's also writing a spy comedy. Uh, featuring, also. Well, you're also writing a story. And it is a spy, spy comedy. comedy. Yes, thank you for a grammar. <laughs> That's that's Nick's editor right there, folks. That's <laughs> she, she is my editor. That is very true. I guess then we'll finish up with uh, finally after many months our take on tales. Well, Tim, why don't you go ahead and start off with your uh, your take on tales this time? Okay. Um, I thought I'd talk about it's been well, it's been a long time since it's been a long time since we've done this segment, but it's been even longer since I've talked about a film for my thing. So I'm going to talk about one that I saw for Redemptive Cinema class. This was interesting film. We watched a lot of European films. Um, I mean, they weren't all European ones that we saw for this film, but we saw a number of them. And they're kind of an acquired taste. They're very different, generally more subdued, more... I guess more intellectual in a sense than standard Hollywood stuff. It just requires... It takes some time to... To get a feel for it, and so I was having trouble with with some of them, but then I saw one by the director Robert Bresson, French director, and I was surprised at how well I connected with it. It's called Pickpocket, and it's essentially, actually, you would find it very interesting, Nick, because it's widely seen as kind of his version of crime and punishment in a sense. Interesting. It's a much shorter story. It's only about. <laughs> I'm always Everything is. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this is only about like seventy minutes, um, seventy five minutes. But the main character is a pickpocket, and he kind of justifies it as, with the argument that people who with extraordinary talents and abilities should be allowed to to not let their talents go to waste. They should be allowed to thrive and. The law should, you know, bend to allow their their crimes since they are so talented. Basically, he's looking for a way to justify his own stealing. Granted, he is a poor person, but all of his friends acknowledge that he could get work if he wanted to. He's He obviously does have some talents. So it's really a film about justifying sin in one's own, own eyes. And, and one thing that was interesting is that his redemption only comes in the end, even after he's been... And this is sort of a spoiler, but it's not like it's a very suspenseful kind of story. So <laughs> I don't think you'll find that the movie is spoiled by me telling you telling the end. Even after he's a, he's arrested, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily feel bad for what he did, but more feels annoyed at getting caught. Mm-hmm. But it's ultimately a dependence on a recognition of wanting to be recognized by someone else, to be valued by someone else, the longing for human companionship that he gets in jail that is where you finally you see a hint of redemption in there and it's very subtle robert bresson is actually known for making his actors go through a very subdued uh style they didn't he didn't want any overt expressions on their face the idea was in a sense to make the actors sort of a model he wanted the audience to really think about what the character was doing in that sense, you sort of implants your own impressions of what the character is. It's sort of like, do you remember that book, Understanding Comics? Yeah, yeah. Where you talked about the icon and how we, the more uh, abstract it is, the more we can subject our own interpretations on it. Mm-hmm. This is sort of an acting style like that. And what's interesting is that I had seen another one of his films in undergrad called Lancelot of the Lake or Lancelot du Lac. 
And I had hated it because of the acting style. It just didn't feel right in a King Arthur story to me. <laughs> you know, it's not mythic or, you know, exciting at all. It was just all these actors going, yes, I'm sorry, Guinevere. I wish to have, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that is a it weird was, uh, juxtaposition of style and content. It really was. But it felt like it worked in this case because there was kind of... I kind of read a haunted expression in the pickpocket's eyes. I don't know. It was it was an interesting film for me, and it was exciting since having seen like a film called La Strada, which was an Italian film that was kind of like cinematic poetry, but it was really hard to write a write a an assignment about it because <laughs> I didn't know what to make of it first. And then a very long Russian film that that was like three and a half hours. I I, I had no idea what to make of that. <laughs> uh, at least a portion of it we watched in class. It was very refreshing to me to see this much shorter one that I could really that was very meaty, but I could really that I could really appreciate. That sounds another one that I would enjoy watching because I would like to watch more foreign films, but I never know which ones are going to. Yeah, be, where do you start? Where do you start? You know, especially if you're not used to watching that sort of film. And it really is kind of an acquired taste, and I think we'll talk about this more in a future story school. But yes, I think that we should. If you're, I mean, if you're open to watching, you know martial arts films from Asian Japan you I mean obviously you you're you've practiced the art of subtitles you can find some very interesting dramas in the films of Europe but it's usually meteor stuff so you, you gotta be willing to open yourself to it right well Natasha do you want to do a, a take on tales well on my blog I not only review books I review a lot of movies um Usually new movies, because I have Netflix, and I love Netflix, because I get to see all the movies that I missed in the theater, because I was taking care of my son. So, <laughs> that's how I saw The Tourist, here at home, not in the theater. And that was one I probably would have seen in the theater if, you know, I didn't have a life. I really loved it. I mean, I like Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp, um, usually, but, you know, they ha they have some interesting roles and you know they're not always um morally uh the best movies to watch maybe but the tourist was clean and it was funny um it's kind of well it's kind of spy although there's not a lot of spying in it it's more about the relationship but anyway angelina jolie she plays this um agent and she's supposed to be well she's kind of gone rogue she fell in love with this thief, kind of a criminal mastermind. So she's being watched because everyone wants to find out where he is and all they know about him, um, his name's Alexander Pierce, and they know that he's had some sort of plastic surgery and so he doesn't even look like he used to look like or anything. So they're going through her to find him. And he sends her a letter saying that she needs to pick out a random guy about his height and build on this certain train and make everybody believe that it's him. Well, the guy she chooses is Johnny Depp, who plays Frank, uh, an American math teacher. So we get to hear Johnny Depp's American accent. That juxtaposition is just hilarious. And it's just so funny because they go to Italy and this American math teacher speaks Spanish to the natives and they kind of speak Spanish back to him thinking it's funny and it, and it really is. <laughs> I mean, there's just these little tiny moments of humor in it. And I won't give away the ending, but the ending is the icing on the cake in this movie. So just all, all together, a fun, clean story. Cool. I, I've heard it compared to Charade with Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. You saw that with us. We watched it with Joanna. 
can't remember. Okay. Doesn't sound familiar. I didn't see. I didn't. I didn't get to watch uh, the tour, so I can't compare. Okay. But it probably is along that same lines because it's you know it's half funny and half serious and half right. something else. So it's one and a half movies. Cool. <laughs> I've heard good things about it. So one of these days. So on the on the descending line of seriousness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also in the spy category, a lot of what I've been reading lately has been my own stuff or other people's stories. So I don't. I, I wish I had a book to talk about. Well, I have a wheel time book, but you don't want to hear about the twelfth book of that. <laughs> um, so Natasha and I've been watching Alias. I'd never watched Alias when it was on TV. Didn't really know much about it, except that it was Jennifer Gardner and she was a spy. Uh, where it was done with the first season, and one one of the main reasons I like it is just so much fun. I mean, anything can happen, and she, you know, she's she's in some ridiculous outfit. She has ridiculous little gadgets. She always so apparently she's a great spy who always almost gets caught. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> what happens to all the great spies? I mean, I know even James I mean, Bond. I, I, would make, I would make a joke that apparently she's she's either really good or really bad because she never does a, a mission without almost getting caught. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in the in the the characters are interesting. Well, I point well, I point out Natasha when we're watching the pilot. Within like five minutes, all the characters are interesting. Mm. Which says a lot. Which says a lot. And I think that has a lot to do with J.J. Abrams, a lot to do with maybe just the idea they have. Um, yeah, even the characters they're going to kill off. <laughs> yeah, even the characters they kill off within the pilot are interesting. <laughs> and they have, they have a lot of interesting relationships, like Sloan, who's in, who's kind of the bad guy, but in charge of the organization she works for. It's not pure evil. He's, you know, he's kind of a nice guy in certain circumstances. Creepy. He's creeping others. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, he yeah. he'll order the death of someone like this, but he'll he'll like try to get his uh his wife talk to his wife's doctor because she's dying. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just really interesting. You never the the structure in the first half of the season was just strange for a TV show because they'd almost go through like one and a half missions every time. It almost seems sometimes like the episodes were off center, like yeah. because you would always have the events of the last episode would be getting wrapped up at the beginning of the next episode. I know, almost immediately. It's like, oh no, what's going to happen to her? And then like within, you know, the next minute of the show, if they had allowed you to see that, <laughs> <Yeah>. it's completely <laughs> resolved. <laughs> but I guess I just really like, it's very well done, very fun. Just, you know, I guess it's pulpy, but it's really good pulp. Definitely, definitely. Um, and there's not a lot of shows that well. I'll watch one episode and be immediately ready to watch another episode. But I don't, I don't watch TV or movies, you know, for long periods of time. But almost always, I'll wa- be able to watch two or three episodes of Alias. Yeah, just because it's structured, because it's fun, because it never seems like it's doing the same old thing. Or when it starts doing the same old thing, then oh, they've already been switching stuff up, and we're not even through the first season. Yeah. Oh man, when Quentin Quentin Tarantino came in. That was a great episode. That that was crazy. Yeah, because he basically takes their whole uh, face over. Yeah, and he's just a go- he's just a goon. Yeah, it's hilarious to watch. <laughs> I mean, he's he's a really good bad guy. Oh, really? Definitely. But yeah, it just it just you know, and it's half soap opera in places. You know, she'll go from like some life threatening mission to like talking to her friend about her fiance and doing mm-hmm. girl talk, and I think that's really funny and clever. To ground it so much in real life while having it completely over the top in other places. Yeah. Now, J.J. Abrams didn't have much to do with Lost of getting it started. But to see the kind of the dad issues and the the lies within lies and 
stuff like that is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, special numbers, page 46 for the Rimbaldi 47. stuff. Oh, 47. It's always, yeah. you know, special number with the Rimbaldi. Here's the other thing I find interesting. So you have, you have this soap opera, you have this spy stuff, you have this family drama, and then on top of all that, you throw in this supernatural mystery. Yeah. The, like, with the Rimbaldi, uh, he's like a prophet, kind of, but like a scientific prophet. Yeah, kind of an uh, archaeological sort of national treasure hunt. Yeah, I don't know, they just keep, they throw enough stuff in that, you know, to keep it very busy. Yeah. They balance it all well together, too. I mean, the show asks itself the questions you have, like, for instance, like, well, don't the, don't her friends notice how many tri- business trips <laughs> she takes for the bank she works for, you know, and then they ask that in the show, and she gives them her excuse, and it makes some logical sense on the level of the show. Yeah, yeah. It's a really fun show. Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. I, you know, I think I've heard my brother watch it once on TV that it goes kind of crazy, go nuts near the end because I don't know why. Maybe it went on for too long. Possibly. I, I only got as far as like the third season. And then I, I think I had just binged on it for too much. And it's like, OK, I need a break from this now. <laughs> Understandable. I, I think I need a break after this season. We've been watching a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's doable. She wants to watch more Stargate Universe. Yes. Cool. So that's that. Yep, and I think that's our episode. Yeah, that's our episode. So um, I guess we'll give our contact info and then bow out. So you can mail us, email us, not mail, I guess you can mail us if you really want to. <laughs> um, but you can email us at derailedtrains at gmail.com. You can always visit our site. In fact, please visit our site at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com and leave us a comment. Yes, we love comments. Yeah, talk get into a debate with with Nathan or about something. Of course, we need to do a better job of getting there and responding to the comments. We've been kind of lax. That's that that's actually a good point. <laughs> so, Tim, you want to go ahead and introduce this soundtrack of yours? Sure thing, sure thing. Well, I said last time that I was going to get some jazz in here, and I, I'm going to do that. So, uh, in keeping with the vampire, well, Nix wasn't the vampire thing, but in keeping with the popularity of vampires, this is a remix of the song from the video game Super Castlevania 4. The name of the remix is The Belmont Chill and it's remixed by Black Omen. Uh, it's very group, very chill uh, as the title suggests and I think you will enjoy it. So, um, have a good uh, day. <laughs> Wherever you are. Wherever you are. Um, this is Nick. And this is Tim. And Natasha. Adios. So long. <laughs> Good enough. That's that's how it usually goes. <laughs> you just said ciao. I know. I almost thought.